Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to this special bonus series of the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. This special bonus series is an exploration into the frontier market country of Guyana. It is an exploration driven by curiosity so that together we can learn more about the varying emerging and frontier markets across the globe, as well as the individuals on the ground driving the action. So why Guyana? If you type Guyana in Google, you may be surprised by what you unearth. More than likely, a series of articles about or related to the country's discovery of oil in 2015. This has subsequently led to an influx of new investments in different sectors across the country. In this three-part series, you will hear me in conversation with entrepreneur and Guyana-focused merchant banker and asset manager, Stephen Jasmine. This series is titled Guyana Startup Nation. It consists of three parts. Part one, the origin story. Part two, the Guyana story. And lastly, part three, Startup Nation. Crucially important, this series, like all the Raybird series, are for informational purposes only. Nothing you hear in this series is investment advice of any kind. As always, I'm excited to share this content with you. So let's get to it. Bye for now. Welcome back to part three, Startup Nation, the final episode in this bonus series on Guyana. In this final episode, you will hear Stephen discuss the growth parallels between Guyana and startups. You'll hear him share why he believes this is a great opportunity for Guyana to develop a solid middle class and the role that the Guyanese diaspora has to play. You will hear him draw parallels between moving from zero to one, like a startup, but within the context of Guyana. You'll hear him explain the concept of crossing the chasm, as well as the IPO product he's about to launch, and Caribbean capital markets. He also provides some investor breakdowns. Near the end, Stephen talks about his upcoming roadshow, and as always, he shares his lessons learned. Listen in to this final episode. See you at the end. Bye for now. You have mentioned that you believe Guyana is startup nation. Why is that? Why are you coining Guyana as a startup nation? So with my background, you know, in venture capital and, and, and working with, you know, I've spent my whole career helping grow and start and build companies you know, I really have, especially around technology, obviously. And so I really have a true understanding of, you know, the startup cycle and, you know, the pitfalls and challenges that you face. And I firmly believe that Guyana as a country, you know, because of this new oil find is going through that same growth cycle. And so I believe there's a lot of parallels between that. There's a lot of it experiences from that my background in that world that I'm able to bring and you know especially with my background working with smart cities and, and, and technologies and the internet of things and industrialization and how all that comes together you know I just it was one of the things that drew me to the country was that 
my skill set could really be brought to bear, my full skill set. So not only, you know, as we talked about in the first episode, my ability to, to speak Fortune 500 and, you know, my ability to, to work with and advise, you know, multi-generational family-owned companies and working with the oil and gas industry, all of these pieces have come together to create a very unique opportunity for me as an individual and as a banker and an asset manager to create a lot of value in Guyana. And over the past four years, the one thing I've confirmed is, is that that thesis is absolutely correct. And it's even more correct than I realized at the end of the day. And, and, and with that comes a lot of the same challenges and, and the same fears and the same risks that every startup faces, whether it's a country, whether it's a business, whether it's a family, you know what I mean? When you, when you get married and have children, you know, that's a startup. That's a different kind of startup, but that's just as much of a startup as a business is or the growth cycle that Guyana is going through as the Guyana of tomorrow, which is its position as an influential country and one of the 11 top oil producing nations in the world over the next five years. Guyana has a lot of growing to do. And, and it, Guyana is a relatively young country, too. It's only 55 years old since it gained its independence from the crown. And with that, they've still been in startup mode, but now it's like they found their product market fit with the discovery of oil. And now they're going to, all the investors are coming in and, and it's like, you're going to have an oversubscribed round led by Andreessen Horowitz and, and mm-hmm. SoftBank yeah. and all the name brand VCs that are wanting access yeah. because you know, Guyana's position there. And I, I believe that the Guyana, Guyana of yesterday, in the history of Guyana, there will be before oil and post oil. And it's going to be a very kind of clear line of demarcation. And so, you know, everyone will want to try to forget or will never know and understand the the pre-oil operating environment. But that's where I feel like my last four years being in country and building the team I've built and really absorbing the history of Guyana and the culture and the backgrounds has positioned me to really help now that they found their product market fit to come in as an asset manager and an investor and uh, uh, you know an operational executive to to, to kind of help Guyana grow through its next phase of growth, and it's it's really exciting because you know there's very few times in the world that you know you get the chance to do that, and and when you couple that opportunity with the fact that it's an only a country of 800,000 people, and there's more oil wealth per capita than countries like Dubai and Norway and Qatar, that creates just a, a unique position, and it's going to create, especially when you start combining transparency and technology and the speed information moves and the speed things happen, and also the, the deflation that's occurring because of the technology enablement of building out this infrastructure, Guyana is going to be able to build itself 10 times quicker for a tenth the cost, not have the legacy infrastructure that they have to support, and they're going to be able to do it in such a way that they actually will be able to focus on developing a middle class and enabling all Guyanese to participate in the future. And it's not going to have to be done through, you know, the traditional, you know, socialist communist mindset of just giving people things, you know, you're actually going to, because of the growth you'll have and technology enablement, you'll have the ability to, to allow the Guyanese to participate in this. And Guyana as a country is already because of its Caribbean background and its position as the head of the CARICOM secretariat, it's it has a very educated level. There's a high literacy rate. You know, it's the, the, the demographics of the country is a large up and coming population, which is a good sign for for growth. You know, because if, if you look at a 
a country like Japan and you, and you look at their demographic breakdown, you know, they've got a lot of older people nearing retirement and it's sort of like an inverted pyramid. And anytime you have that inverted pyramid structure, and if you look to Europe and you look to a lot of South America, a lot of those countries have that same from a population growth analysis, have that same kind of inverted pyramid. But fortunately, Guyana is actually, you know, more like the traditional pyramid shape where there is a large young population that's coming up, you know, they're, they're going to schools, they're going to colleges. There's also, you know, a portion of the population, a demographic that left the country and became part of the diaspora. I've heard all kinds of analysis and, and you know, statistics are all over the place, but the country's a population of approximately 800,000 people. But a lot of people that you talk to will, will say that, you know, the diaspora of Guyana or the people who have left, but are still just one generation away from Guyana are, you know, it's, it's upwards of 2 million people. And so there's actually more people that live outside of Guyana who are Guyanese than live in Guyana. And, and a lot of them live in, you know, New York City and Toronto and London. Uh, those are where predominantly most of them are based, you know, and in South Florida and Miami. But ultimately, you know, that diaspora will play a critical role as the country grows and, and, and where it can, where it will be tomorrow but you still have to understand where it is today and where it was yesterday to be able to get to tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Now, in terms of the, the idea of a startup nation, one of the themes that I hear often um, on this podcast from, from various founders, particularly when referring to, um, let's say, improving um, the, the entrepreneurial ecosystem or the infrastructure or regulations in their country, they often say that their governments need to treat um, just policies and have an outlook like it's a startup, right? So it's actually something that a lot of a lot of people embrace, something that a lot of people think about. And I always reference Estonia. Estonia for me is the world's first startup nation. So thinking like a startup, what are the what are the kinds of things that you believe Guyana needs to do to get to to kind of move from you know? let's say not to one, zero to one, the way a startup would. Yeah, that's a great book. Uh, wasn't it Peter Thiel that wrote that yeah, book? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was a great book. So, so you're absolutely right with the zero to one. And, you know, Guyana has a lot of capacity building that needs to happen, just like every startup. When you're starting a company, you don't understand what corporate governance is. You've usually got a great product, you've created an idea, and you're trying to go to market with it. And while you're finding product market fit, you're, you're, you're trying to do a lot with a little and, and, and you also don't know a lot, quite frankly, and, and you have a lot to learn and you are in a position that you've never been in before, you know? And so with that, Guyana has a lot of capacity building to do. Luckily, they've been smart enough and counseled properly not to, to dive in the deep end and, and they haven't started spending all kinds of money recklessly. They're working to put a lot of the corporate governance in place and a lot of the, the transparency necessary to, to run an efficient market that's friendly to foreign investors, you know, ultimately the, the big thing that I believe Guyana is focusing on and, and needs to continue to accelerate its focus on is just the, the development and the maturation of the legislative framework of the country, you know, and that goes across the board, you know, from the typical stuff that you would focus on in a frontier con country economy, you know, with investor incentives and, and, and balancing local content and making sure that the Guyanese people get a chance to participate in it, which I have a, full believer and supporter in, you know, but at the same token, you know, they don't know what they don't know. And ultimately you have to do the knowledge transfer and you have to do the human capacity building 
But the number one area that they need to focus on, in my humble opinion, is you know the legislative side of the framework and 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 creating that efficient process to to really because ultimately you know historically pre-oil Guyana never had a reason to really focus on and answer a lot of the tough questions and they didn't have it was a very domestic market you know there wasn't a lot of foreign investors active because it just didn't make sense and there wasn't a reason for it so that has led to and because of its recent birth of only 55 years ago becoming its own independent nation they have not had the chance to develop the legislative framework that's really necessary and you know as much as people look to the first world countries and they they talk about the swamp and how bad it is and 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 how awful it is at the end of the day guyana has no swamp from a from a, a lobbying and policy standpoint and policy creation standpoint you know they they rely like all you know frontier markets a lot on the leadership and expertise of the ngos that can come in and are at the table but now guyana really needs to make a priority of investing in the right advisors and consultants and partners to come in and help build out that swamp to a certain degree because it's through that process of the private sector working hand in hand with the government sector that enables the development of the right regulatory and legislative framework for everyone to know what the rules of the road are so that the country can really grow very quickly and that's where we're trying to help lead the country in that direction and support those initiatives you know if you want to do something like build a port or build a harbor but there's no rules as to how you do that or, or there's no path to really successfully enable you to do that as a private investor or even as the government quite frankly because they've never had the need for it all of a sudden someone needs to put that together and people don't realize this but you know it's not the job it is the job of of, of government and and parliament to you know make those laws and to put those laws into effect but they don't have the experience of knowing how to properly draft them and how to properly put them together. And that's where, because of the results of the oil find, Guyana has the resources to hire the right people to help them do it the right way. And in that process of capacity building, it creates kind of the rules of the road and it matures the environment to encourage foreign investment and to encourage support and, and away we go. Um, and so that's, you know, that's how we're starting to cross those bridges. And I think that's where I see the biggest, um, the biggest opportunity um, as we move along. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yes, it does. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the opportunities and the challenges that, um, uh, with, that Guyana will face. I guess you can kind of look at it from, again, where Guyana is now and where you think it will be, and then kind of fill in that gap in the middle and let us know about opportunities and challenges with respect to both. Yeah, so this is where, you know, a lot of your, this is going to resonate a lot with a lot of your, your startups and investors and, 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 and your audience because, uh, you know, there's a, a great kind of, there's two great theories and, and, you know, startup growth cycles that I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. Um, you know, first and foremost, there's the the Gardner hype cycle. Are you familiar with the Gardner hype cycle? No, I'm not. Please enlighten okay. me. Um, the Gardner hype cycle is uh, essentially it was developed by the big consulting firm Gardner, and it talks about the um, how companies and how ideas and it's essentially it's a graphical presentation that's used to to show kind of how 
it represents the process of maturity, adoption, and social application of you know specific technologies over time. And so Guyana is going through this cycle, and you know from a startup perspective, there, you're, you know we'll provide some links in, in the commentary on it, but it's all about you know an event happens that starts the you know a rocket ship of growth, and then everyone has kind of this this sort of bubbleistic view of where the country's going, but then you go to what's called this trough of disillusionment, which is how are we going to get there? This is too big of a problem to solve. You know, there's too many political challenges. There's too much standing in the way of it happening. And then there's what's called the slope of enlightenment, as you, which is a, you know, a more elongated ramp. And then you get to what's called a plateau of productivity. And so through that process, you know, I would say that in my assessment, after living in the country for the past four years and spending 330 days on the ground last year during COVID and, and the change in government, Guyana's really sitting at kind of what I would call the trough of disillusionment, you know, from an academic perspective. And, you know, that also aligns with another pretty relevant analysis, which is, I, look, uh, I like to talk about, you know, crossing the chasm. Uh, are you familiar with that concept? That I know a little bit about, yes. <laughs> yes. So, you know, Jeffrey Moore's uh, concept of, there's the early adopters, there's the yeah. late adopters, and yeah. there's this chasm that most startups face of how do you bridge the gap between the early adopters and, and the late adopters. And so Guyana is in the process of crossing that chasm right now. And that's where, you know, when you look at some of these concepts that are very applicable to the startups, Estonia went through these same things, yeah. you know, but with the way Guyana's economy is growing and its growth cycle, it's just like it. It's the exact same template. And so many people don't understand that and don't appreciate that. And but when you think about it, that's why, you know, we're five years in and there's still only two internationally flagged hotels. There's no class A office space. There's no McDonald's or Starbucks yet because they, they haven't crossed that chasm and figured out how to bring liquidity to the market, how foreign investors can get in. There's been too much political risk. There's been too much resource risk. This is where there's the opportunity for the country to really break out and go, but you've got to figure out how to finance it. And that's really, you know, with us being on the ground for the past four years and positioning ourselves, we see that opportunity and we know how, we know what's needed. Now, you know, working to break through that is, is the struggle and is the challenge. But I believe now Guyana really is starting to hit that point and it's become the flashpoint as in the chemical reaction that occurs when you bring in different things. Right. And so the, we're at that flashpoint now, and we only got there, I would argue, as of March of this year when Parliament ratified the, the 2021 budget. Guyana, in my opinion, didn't become investable at scale until March of this year from a risk profile. And, and that's a whole long conversation that we can get into on another show. But yeah. ultimately... That means we're only really three months into the investment cycle of the country for everything non-oil and gas related. And so with that, you know, now it's all, all this pent up demand is going to be let go and the floodgates are going to open. And I, I liken it to a, a tsunami. So over the past four years, we've been in what I call the drawback phase, which okay. is where the, um, you know, if, as you, if you studied tsunamis, you know, the water gets all pulled out to sea for even miles before the tsunami comes in. 
And so I like in the past four years of the, or five years of Guyana's development post oil find as the drawback period. And now the tsunami is getting ready to crest and, and, and come ashore. And it's going to create a lot of opportunity. And this is where it's going to be how quickly can you stay ahead of it? Like, a, you know, if you're trying to ride the wave, you want to surf and you get a paddle ahead and then you get on the wave. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be hard and everyone's going to try to, to ride the wave. And then a lot of people are just going to get sucked under, unfortunately, you know, in the short term. But they'll land on their feet and they'll figure it out as long as they keep showing up. That's yeah. the entrepreneurial process. But with these concepts and with these theories, you kind of get to see how Guyana is going to develop. And it allows us as an organization to position ourselves as an asset manager to take advantage of those opportunities and to bridge those gaps and to create that market liquidity from the private sector in some of these projects so that we can be, you know, work as a commercial investor and asset manager and, and, and execute as well at the same time. Definitely. Yeah, I love I love that answer. I love the way you answered that question. So now, um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, the IPO product? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as a part of Guyana's growth over the next 10 years, you know, one of the things that I'm really focused on is, you know, how do we de-risk investment? How do we get public equity access to the growth of Guyana earlier in the investment cycle? you know, how is Guyana going to be able to develop? And, you know, one of my key philosophies here is that ultimately, you know, Guyana over the next five to seven years, as the legislative and policy framework evolves and develops and matures, as it invariably will, with or without, no matter what happens, that will happen over the next five to seven years. That's just how these markets evolve. Um, You know, it's just, and so during that growth process, you know, I believe that it's all about in-groups and out-groups and complexity theory. Uh, there's a, two ends of a spectrum. There's stability. Okay. And then on the zero and the one is, and it kind of follows your zero to one analogy. Okay. Um, and, and they kind of stole a little bit of complexity theory in there. And on the one side, you've got chaos and you've okay. got, you know, full execution and everything running like it needs to run. But in that, there's a bit of chaos. And so over the past 50 years, Guyana has been a very stable country. It's had slow growth, low growth. You know, it's had its challenges. There's really not been enough to go around, you know, and so we're currently at this inflection point where the mechanical constraints of its system, it's an engine, it's very basic. It's not an ecosystem. It's been more of an engine. And, you know, for a country that finds, and this is part of the Dutch disease that occurs, is where countries stumble is in how they manage this transition. And so what we see as asset managers and investors, you know, working in the market and helping to bridge that gap and cross that chasm as a startup nation is the opportunity to, you know, how do we get from being a mechanical country that's, you know, stable to the to the ecosystem and environment side? Because, yeah. you know, an engine is very simple. It's, it's got basic components. It all works together mechanically. But then when you start bringing in the other side of it and you get into interdependencies and you get into, you know, influence and, and how it all interacts, you know, that's that zero to one you're talking about. Yeah. But there's an inflection point in there and, and yes. we've positioned ourselves to do that. And so a part of that theory is that, you know, there's in groups and out groups. Okay. And so when you look at Guyana, you know, itself has kind of been the in group and it's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, the circle and the pie is only so big. But as it expands organically with the, 
the discovery of the oil find and with the, the growth that's coming, it's going to expand outwards. Like, a, you know, when you throw a, a, a rock into a river, and it ripples. Makes ripples, right? Yeah. You know, and so as bankers and as investors and asset managers, we've looked out and said, you know, the first round of check writers that are going to come into Guyana are going to be the Caribbean capital markets. And as a part of that, you know, I've traveled throughout the Caribbean, you know, Trinidad, Barbados, and Jamaica are kind of all, are all candidates to be that first out group that becomes an in group. And in doing that research and understanding it, you know, and getting to know people and, and, and seeing, you know, where the capital is that's looking to come in and, and where it can happen, you know, we believe that, you know, Jamaica and Kingston, Jamaica specifically is sort of the, a mini Wall Street of the Caribbean, if you will. And so with that, we believe that, you know, a lot of the first round of check writers and the syndication that will occur to finance a lot of the early growth in Guyana, you know, after you get through the local absorption of the growth, which is currently underway, you know, the regional absorption will start to come. And so we're establishing, you know, an office in Kingston over the next six to eight months. And we're in the process of launching, uh, we've developed a custom investment product that we're bringing to the Jamaican market to allow the Jamaican investment community access to the Guyanese market. Okay. And we're doing it in, a, in the way of a what's called a green peel private equity fund that we're bringing to market. And this fund essentially is going to go in and we're raising $3.3 million on the Jamaican Junior Exchange. Okay. And we're partnering with one of the biggest ranks in the region to, to, to underwrite the IPO and bring it to market. And what it's gonna enable us to do and how the fund is being structured is that we will end up partnering and investing with joint venture partners from the United States to set up construction service companies in Guyana. So it's going to be a private equity fund that's publicly traded on the stock market. You know, pre-COVID, the Jamaican Stock Exchange was one of the fastest growing stock exchanges in the world. And so it's still a very illiquid stock exchange. It's still a frontier market stock exchange. But at the same token, it is sophisticated enough and far enough ahead and that we can use it as sort of the conduit to channel investment down into Guyana in the short term, because it, Guyana isn't ready for us to do the, to be doing that capital markets work directly in the country yet. We believe, you know what I mean? And after being yeah. there four years, that's just the reality of the situation. Will it come? Absolutely. It just needs to get there and, and, and there's too much investment that needs to occur. And so money, as you know, anything in life likes to follow kind of the easiest path forward. And this yeah. is where, you know, the first out group is Jamaica. And there's an opportunity, I believe, over the next five to seven years while Guyana is figuring everything out and growing very quickly and, and, and becoming, you know, the leader of the hemisphere. There's an opportunity for Jamaica to become essentially the financial services center to handle and facilitate all that growth. You know, the large investment banks and the large bulge bracket banks have pulled out of the Caribbean and Latin America pretty much entirely. Mm. And so, as you know, and so with that, there's an opportunity now for the Jamaican financial services sector to expand and to take up that opportunity. And so this is where we've developed this first product and we're putting essentially our financial services back office and headquarters in Jamaica so that as the country grows and the, you know, the additional outgroups come with the second round of check writers and third and fourth round of check writers that come as the market, you know, continues on. So think of it this way, you know, your, your, your seed investors are essentially the domestic Guyanese market. 
And so okay. the families and the people and the, and the commercial banks are, are kind of putting up the seed money so you can understand the orders of magnitude. Yeah. We look at Jamaica being the Series A investor on behalf of the entire Caribbean markets mm. from a technology standpoint. And then we believe that the Series B investors will be, will be combined of the diaspora and not just the Guyanese diaspora, but we believe the whole Caribbean diaspora. Right. And we believe that, you know, Panama and all will act as the conduit for all of South America to okay. gain access to the Guyanese market. Okay. And we believe that the GCC countries will be rushing to come in and participate as well. And so we're positioning ourselves to, you know, be one of the leading banks that will be issuing new issues on the both debt and equity side for, for syndication for investors to, you know, make markets. And so when, when you're making markets, it's all about, you know, having oversubscription and, and, and the, acceler the, the velocity of which you're able to develop new product as, a, as an investment bank and issue it is a factor of how many people want access to it and how many people want to participate in it and whether or not there's other people doing the same thing. And the reality is, is that other may, people may try to do what we're doing, but we have that unique position is that we're the only group that actually has the boots on the ground experience to execute and operate in country and know how to navigate. And that's a very unique proposition because, you know, the, even the, throughout the rest of the Caribbean, you know, some of those organizations are coming down, they're trying to figure out how to enter, you know, enter Guyana and yeah. they're trying to, you know, get some of their financial services licenses and, and things like that. But the reality is, is that there hasn't been a major financial services license issued in Guyana in over in close to 20 years, I believe. And so, you know, you've got a, and the guy that spent four years in Guyana and who has a Wall Street background sees, you know, Jamaica as the beachhead that we need to use as kind of the forward operating base to launch down into Guyana. And because there's no South American and Latin American influence, and in, as we've discussed previously, you know, there needs to be a conduit for, for them to get to Guyana, as well as, you know, out of the Middle East to get to Guyana. And so that's where we're building our practice in Kingston. We're partnering with the, all the different banks throughout Jamaica and the Caribbean and we'll be issuing these products. And, and, but at a certain point, the Caribbean itself is going to, you know, run out of money. And I don't say that to, to mean that, you know, they're going to go broke or they're going to go bankrupt. It's just, you know, as asset managers, you can only put so much of your portfolio into a high growth company like Guyana as a country instead, you know, if you think of it like a company, you know, most investors take a portfolio theory approach, especially on the institutional side. Okay. And so they can only, they're only allowed to invest five to 10% of their total assets under management into something as risky as Guyana. Now, I know a lot of these local banks will, will go past that and the local capital markets will, will go past that because they have a very clear understanding of the risk and they want to participate in that and they realize they need to. But generally speaking, though, that universe is only so big. And so, you know, the next out groups that will come in and the next investors that will come in will be, you know, those aggressive people from South America who understand everything about Guyana except the language because they've seen it happen and they've been participated in those growth cycles over the past 50 to 100 years, you know, throughout South America, mm -hmm. as well as the GCC countries that will come in. And so, you know, the first thing that we really are focused on in issuing is this IPO product that will allow the Jamaican public sector to come in and, and buy into the product and, and be absorbed by the local markets and be able to participate in the upside. And the really cool thing about the way we've developed this product is that, you know, over the next five to seven years, as Guyana gets situated, you know, the Guyanese stock exchange will mature and develop and, 
and become liquid. It's currently liquid. There's about 15 companies on it and it's not an active market. And so with that, as the technology comes in and everything occurs, we're going to look to direct list these portfolio companies that are in this Greenfield private equity fund on the Guyanese stock exchange. And that's where, you know, you'll be able to exit as investors, you know, your five to seven year private equity investment structure, you know, and really part of how we're de-risking this from a, from a, you know, a risk standpoint is that it is a greenfield private equity fund, but it's not a venture capital fund because we're not investing in high risk companies with all sorts of technology risk and, and, and market fit risk and product market fits. You know, we're focused on these boring, plain, you know, hard to run, but not very complex companies. So, you know, things like, a, you know, a ready mix cement company, things like an aggregates company, uh, an equipment rental company. You know, these are very traditional companies that with the right U.S. partner behind them, we know will come in and run these companies on our behalf and, and with us as a joint venture partner very successfully. You know, we've already put one of these types of partnerships together. So we have a track record doing it in Guyana. We're one of the few few asset managers that can point to it. And, you know, and from that too, you know, we're doing on the commercial real estate side, a lot of development. And with that development, we know that our pipeline over the next five to seven years, you know, we're going to develop, you know, at least 2 million square feet commercially. And so when we're sitting and talking with our U.S. partners that we're courting to be a part of this, and be our joint venture partners where we're putting in, you know, a million dollars essentially, and they're bringing in matching investments and we're going to the development finance corporation and raising some debt and coming down and making a large investment in the country. It's more of a private equity style investment because the families that we're partnering with have already run these companies and not in Guyana, but they, they, they own a 50 to hundred million dollar company doing the exact same thing in the United States. And they've done it in other countries. And so they understand the execution side of the business and so we're going to come into the country with one or two, you know, senior executives, and then we're going to take their knowledge and do knowledge transfer and, you know, build out this company that is de-risked because they've got, you know, our 2 million square foot pipeline ahead of it, you know, that they know that they'll be working on. So when you do the analysis and you start looking at the math, you know, that 2 million square foot pipeline, look at the amount of cement that we're going to be pouring. That's roughly on 2 million square feet. If you want to look at the numbers, because we have as an asset yeah. manager, yeah. you know, it's, that's a 25 to $30 million contract and with free cash flows of over $5 million just on the, the ready mix cement side, you know what I mean? As a service company. And so that's essentially, you know, $5 million in profit that we know we're going to generate for the cement company. So that becomes a very compelling opportunity for the right joint venture partner and for the Jamaican stock market to be able to take advantage of it as being one of the only ways public equity can gain access to the, the growth cycle of Guyana. Because traditionally, public equity isn't provided with these kinds of opportunities to get in at the ground floor. And so that's why we've developed this product. That's why we're excited about it. And, and we're looking forward to it. And, you know, over the next uh, two months, starting in August, you know, I'm going on a seven, eight country roadshow. Yeah. And it's going to be crazy, you know what I mean? Because it's time to, the rubber's hitting the road and, and it's time to really start turning all this opportunity into, into investment grade product that we can bring to market and that we can, you know, work with the Caribbean capital markets to invest in. And, and, and that includes working with the Jamaican Stock Exchange to, to be able to participate in this growth. 
because this liquidity is needed in the market and it's the biggest challenge the market's facing. You know, over the past five years, not only has Guyana not tapped into their $500 million in oil wealth they've generated that's sitting at, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, waiting for the regulatory framework to be put in place with the new government to manage it, you know, there's not been any substantial foreign direct investment outside of, you know, the international oil companies setting up the uh, the oil fields. You know, there's only been one major hotel that's been broken by the, uh, the Pegasus Suites that's being developed. Uh, the Pegasus Hotel is a Caribbean uh, boutique hotel chain. It's the, the Guyana one is owned by a gentleman named Robert Bedal, and he's been a complete visionary and is building the first Class A office building and and building you know a nice modern hotel, but there's been no other, you know, hospitality development to, to date, you know, and it's starting, you know, back in when the changing government occurred, the peaceful changing government occurred last August, coming up on a year now, they had an open RFP and now there's eight hotels that have been announced and there's probably another half dozen that are being conceptualized and they're just starting to break ground on them because also, you know, we've been dealing with the COVID environment and that slowed the growth down. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of pent up demand and we're positioning ourselves to take advantage of that pent up demand because that liquidity is gonna to need to come. And traditionally, most asset managers that play in these frontier markets, they wait for the government spending to start because that de-risks everything because the government will pay its bills over the next decade because they've got so much capital on hand. You know, But ultimately that government investment hasn't started. And so there's currently that chasm getting back to some of the you know academics concepts that we talked about and the the, the trough of disillusionment that we're currently sitting in, and there needs to bring capital investment into the country at this point to start creating that market liquidity. And you do that through private sector investment. And, you know, over time, the government opportunities will be there. And, and, and you know, but they're still there in typical startup fashion. There's not enough hours in the day and they're working as hard as they can. And I'm, I believe that they've done a phenomenal job now that we've had the, the change in government and it has nothing to do with the previous government or the current government. It has to do more with where we are in the timeline of the of the growth cycle. And so I believe that this growth is, has come as a result of where we are in the time period and is is being aided and, and accelerated by the, the current administration. But I believe either administration would have faced the same headwinds and opportunities. And, you know, it, at the end of nine months, if, you, if, if you're having a baby, the baby comes out one way or the other, you know, and that's just the reality of the situation. And so I, I believe that's where we are in Guyana's growth cycle. And, and there's still a disconnect there. And, and while there's that disconnect, that creates opportunity, that creates a way to generate revenues and generate yield and, and create value and create wealth to, to, to help aid that process. And so that's where SC3 comes in and that's where we positioned ourselves. And that's where we're looking to be a capital markets partner for the Caribbean to help accelerate that investment. Because like I said earlier, there's no one else generating investment grade product for the capital markets. You know what I mean? There's one-off projects, but no one's taking it from a commercial banking approach. And so this is where we're kind of pioneering it. And, you know, there's obviously lots of great banks throughout the Caribbean. There's billions of dollars, there are billion dollar banks that are anxious to come in and work and we're we're talking to their boardrooms and we're talking to those organizations and and they're listening to us and they're wanting to work with us because they want to understand Guyana they want they know they have to they know that there's a narrow window to participate they they see that there's an opportunity to kind of generate a lot a lot of additional revenue in their country in Kingston as a result of 
you know, helping to on the services side, helping to, to package and sell and, and, and process and manage the, the, the investments in Guyana. And that's where we're working with, you know, the entire financial services sector and the government of Jamaica, quite frankly, to position itself to, to be able to play that role. And it's not a slight to Guyana in the farthest. It's, it's the nature of the beast and it's where it's at. And it's, you know, Kingston is the first out group that is, has the financial services experience and infrastructure and wherewithal to be able to bring that value to Guyana and Guyana needs it. And I think it's good for the Caribbean. I believe, you know, it's good. It's, you know, if you notice over our conversations, I've not spent a lot of time talking about Wall Street and the true massive institutional asset managers because, you, you know, Guyana is just not ready to work with them and, and Guyana doesn't make sense for them. And so by being, by being able to locate our headquarters and our practice in Jamaica, we're going to be able to travel the world and, and create those linkages to these second and third tier investors. And then ultimately, you know, the Wall Streets and, 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 and the London city centers um, to be able to follow the growth cycle of the country and, and be successful. And that's what really excites us. And, and that's where we see our ability to create value. But then what, once again, just to remind you, differentiates us is that we're, you know, we're the only group that has the in-country experience and the in-country track record as an asset manager that is able to, to, to participate in that. And so, you know, I hope that makes sense and, and, and kind of gives you a, a bit of an understanding on the capital market side on how we're looking to position ourselves. But, you know, I believe firmly that, you know, there'll be 30 to $50 billion invested in Guyana outside of the oil field sector over the next 10 years. And so I firmly believe that SC3 will single-handedly participate in over $5 billion of, of, of those new issues. And we'll be leading those new issues as an asset manager and as, a, as an investment bank. And so with that, you know, we've got to build the infrastructure and the bones to scale and support that. Because as you know, going through the startup cycles, you've got to always be looking over the horizon at what your obstacles are going to be and how you can alleviate them and position yourself to take advantage of it. And we're not going to get it all right. There's going to be lots of growing pains. You know, it's not going to be all sunshine and roses. There's going to be a lot of challenges. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be curveballs, if you will. But I've spent my career dealing with curveballs and and always, you know, failing forward and learning from them. And it's it's and even over the past four years in Guyana, I've been dealt a tremendous amount of that. But fortunately, you know, we financed everything off of our own balance sheet to date. And so, you know, I, I have not brought any outside investors into into what we're building. You know, I've got some great partners. You know, there's probably about 12 of us that kind of form the core team of what we're building here. And we're building a traditional, very flat, efficient merchant bank, leveraging 21st century technology and leveraging the right partnerships and the guy in a story to really position ourselves to, to, to really you know, exploits the wrong word because it has negative connotations, but to really take advantage of, I guess I would say, the the opportunities that lie ahead yeah. as a leader. I, I am really um, curious about the approach that you're taking. I'm wondering if it's something, I guess it's something that's generally done. I mean, you've decided to go to Jamaica and tap into the local Caribbean market. Like you said, it's good for the Caribbean. I mean, you could have easily gone elsewhere, but you, you decided to go to Jamaica. So I think that in of itself is, is quite different. At least for me, I don't know if it's normal, if that's how it normally works in the merchant banking world. But yeah, definitely a good thing. 
Well, you go to where the money is, right? And so, you know, Wall Street and, and, and London in the city, as they say, you know, those bankers want to buy stabilized assets that have been de-risked. Right. Yeah, They're happy to overpay for them. You know, the reality is, is that I'm going to be selling the same assets two or three or four times over the next 10 years. Yeah. As a banker and a trader, you only make money when you enter and exit positions. You know what I mean? And, and equity in a liquid company is, is, is hard to value, and, and especially in a high-growth company, you know, like all startups, you know, this is where you get those ridiculous valuations on companies in the, in the venture capital and technology sector because no one knows how much it's truly going to be worth in five years and whether or not they're going to hit the mark and whether or not they're going to execute. And this is part of where, with my background as a capital markets guy, you know, and, and understanding microcaps and, and, and SPACs and, and all that kind of stuff and, and, and understanding, you know, how pipes work and how public equity markets work globally, not just in, you know, the two or three everyone knows, the AIM and the, the NASDAQ and the NYSE and the TSX, you know, like most developed countries have some sort of capital markets and have some sort of stock exchange. And so, you know, in all these frontier markets, they always have them, you know, but ultimately, you have to have the sophistication and you have to have the legislation and you have to have the most importantly, the human capacity to be able to take advantage of it. And that's where Guyana will get there. We will be one of the leaders helping them get there. But in the short term, there needs to be, you know, some outside help. And, and, and I'm excited to be able to, 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 to work in the Caribbean because a, they're the people that understand the opportunities, they understand the history, they understand the country. And so they will be, you know, the seed and series A investors for the country. And we want to position ourselves as sitting right next to them. And this is what we spent the past four years building those relationships. You know, I was privileged to be able to, to speak at the Jamaican Stock Exchange Annual Conference back in 2020 about Guyana. You know nice. what I mean? And, and so that was, you know, I've been building these relationships and, and, and fostering this, this development because as much as, you know, people like to think you go to an investor and they, you know, write you a check the day after they meet you. That's not reality. And anyone that tells you different doesn't know what they're doing. And so we've been doing the drip approach. We've been, you know, staying in the game. We've been continuing to show up. We, you know, we know how to package and sell and we know how to understand risk and we know how to develop financial product. And these companies or these, these organizations in Jamaica and throughout the rest of the Caribbean, you know, have been tracking us and, and following along. And, and, nice. and, and see us as the critical piece of how they're going to be able to participate in the growth going forward. And that's a privilege and an exciting opportunity. And it's going to make for, you know, a wild ride. Yeah, definitely. So tell us about your roadshow. Where are you going and what is it all about? And how can we find out more? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, as things are progressing, you know, and I'm you know, kind of always two steps ahead with what I'm doing, you know, my partners in Guyana are boots on the ground executing. You know, I feel like I've done a great job of really understanding and learning the local environment. And now it's time, especially as we come out of COVID and all the lockdowns, provided, you know, nothing crazy happens over the, the next half of the year, you know, as the world bounces back, you know, it's my job to get out there and start educating people and telling the story of Guyana. You know, even with your Caribbean background, before we were introduced, you didn't really have a full appreciation for what's going on in Guyana. And so and I had no idea. I mean, I knew just you know, surface level, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And even with that, on your side, you know, you're not alone. Everyone's that way, you know, or if they know anything about Guyana, they, they make a joke about, you know, oh, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Isn't that <laughs> where the Jamestown occurred, unfortunately? And that is where that tragedy occurred. 
but ultimately this is a much more compelling and bigger story that they don't no one knows and it's yeah. a once in a lifetime wealth generation opportunity for the people that get in it's not too late it's actually the perfect time especially as a result of covid you know i'm a big believer that you know as unfortunate as the the covid environment has been it's actually allowed guyana to get through some of its growing pains as a startup if you will and and get itself in order and get its house in order so that you know now they can really act as a market maker and so you know my job is not only to work with the caribbean capital markets but to start working and educating all of latin america and all of the middle east and the gcc countries you know because i believe they're the next round that'll come in through some of the analysis we've done and 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 the conversations we've had and and just how things have been unfolding in the operating environment and so you know we're in the process of going out and identifying one essentially strategic partner in each of those markets that will be working with us on an exclusive basis to take everything that we're developing and all the product we're developing and and and, and all the syndication that we'll be doing and they're going to act as our distribution partners throughout their respective territories so you know we'll be identifying one commercial bank in Panama to partner with that will be and we're going to be doing all this from Jamaica and so we'll be bringing one commercial bank from Panama as our partner to launch our our investment bank and then we're going to be partnering with the, the same thing on the on the Emirates side out of based out of Dubai is the center for Abu Dhabi depends we're still working through that but either way you know out of the GCC region and in doing that those two centers and those two partnerships we're essentially giving them the exclusive right to distribute all of our investment grade product in their regions as our co-book runners and co-arrangers and 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 syndication partners in those markets and so by doing that that's really what the the next two month roadshow is about you know fortunately there's a an exciting opportunity in Dubai there's a I don't know if you remember the old world's fairs that used to happen yeah uh, Dubai yeah. is having one that was supposed to happen last year that got pushed to this year but we're yes. fortunate enough I that get those uh, emails. I get those the Global emails. Expo 2020. So, yeah, yeah. you know, Dubai has made, you know, a very large, uh, you know, strategic decision to to be involved in the Emirates, to be involved in, in Guyana on a going forward basis. And in that, they've given the government of Guyana, you know, one and a half million dollars to send a delegation and to have a pavilion at the Global Expo that will be running starting on October 1st and running for six months. And so with that, you know, there's a huge opportunity to, to, to get out front. So, you know, I'll be going to Panama, I'll be going to Jamaica to obviously work on developing the office and finalizing the IPO and some of the corresponding banking relationships I'm establishing. And then I'll be going to Houston for the OTC conference, uh, unless I get stuck in Jamaica working on everything. That's a stuff. good place to get stuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's part of why I'm excited. Um, but no, with that said, you know, from Houston, then I go out to Dubai for two weeks to, to essentially kind of understand the country and what's up and to work on, you know, some transactions outside of Guyana that I'm involved with and prepare for, you know, the Global Expo, which I'll be going back out to London and Dubai, uh, you know, through October. And I'll probably travel a bit throughout MENA during that time as well, um, visiting some of the families like in Saudi and uh, Kuwait and some of the area, the areas, Qatar that, you know, I have people wanting to meet with me from. And through that, it's it's an exciting opportunity. And really, it's more about educating people while keep in mind that while I'm out here working through all this, I've got a team of people and we have a whole slate of projects and 
investment grade product that we're packaging right now and, and preparing to bring to market. And so, you know, and I already know that those projects are going to be funded almost entirely out of the Caribbean capital markets. So I am working in these other markets to start educating them about and having them watch because the best way to get your series B, C and D investors on board is develop the relationships and let them watch you execute, let them watch what you're doing. And then when it comes time to start asking for the big dollars and the big checks, you know, they're ready to participate because they've seen what you were said you were going to do and they, and they, you can prove it and, and it's transparent. And then, then they want to participate in it, you know, and, and as a market maker, and it's all about, you know, lowering my cost of capital as a project sponsor and a, as a merchant banker, this is the methodology that I'm enabling to, to be able to, 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 to monitor that cost of capital and to, to, and to push it forward. And so it's an exciting opportunity. And, you know, uh, you know, there's obviously all this is subject to a lot of factors, you know, number one being, you know, whether or not the uh, COVID environment and the COVID lockdowns don't come raging back, but I'm hopeful and, and looking forward to it. And it's, you know, connecting these disparate markets is how you're, we're going to accelerate the cadence and help navigate and maneuver the investments as they come into the country and, and create the, the platform and structure and, and, and find the right partners that want to participate in it. Yeah, and I think uh, it's going to happen because you're very passionate. And I sense that you've fallen in love with Diana a little bit. You're a bit smitten by Diana. Just that would be an understatement. You know, like, <laughs> and I will absolutely tell you that like all founders you speak with, you know, they're, mm. they're absolutely convinced that they haven't figured out. And, you know, I, I am as well. You know, and I haven't figured it all out, but I, I do think that, you know, you'll be hard pressed to literally find anyone else in the world that understands the opportunity in the country, as well as the risks, as well as I do, you know what I mean? And when you're in this day and age where, you know, once you hit that flashpoint and things explode and the reaction takes place, you know, you got to be there. You got to be one of those ingredients that was a part of it or else you miss it. And, and I can proudly say that, you know, we've positioned ourselves as one of the core ingredients whether or not anyone wants to admit it or, or wants to, to support it, it's just the reality of it. <laughs> so, you know, we know that we're a part of Guyana's future and that we're excited and it's, it's a privilege and it's not something we take lightly, but it's also, it's cool to wake up every day and know that what we're working on is, you know, is going to change history. It's going to affect the lives of the 800,000 people that live in the country. It's going to affect the retirement accounts of the, of the, the asset managers who manage money for their, constituencies globally, whether they're pension funds or insurance companies. And, you know, it's, it's very rare that you're given an opportunity to be able to provide an impact. Wow. Well, Panama, Jamaica, Houston, Dubai, London, and Middle East, North Africa, get ready from Guyana to the world. Stephen is coming. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> Stephen, so what final words do you have for our audience? Um, like I told you, majority of us based in emerging markets, early stage founders, um, ecosystem builders, innovators, early stage investors, angels mostly. What 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 final words do you have for us? You've shared so much with us, so much. Yeah, How would you like to wrap it up? Really, it's, it's, it's all I can say is do your research and learn. You know, we've, uh, if you want access to a lot of our research that we published as, you know, one of the first, you know, Wall Street style analysts and bankers, working in country, uh, the best way to find a lot of that is on Medium. Uh, I'm the guyanabanker.medium.com, I believe. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Jasmine, uh, you know, we're not big about web presence and, and flashy stuff. We focus more on trying to produce good content and be a thought leader 
and it's through opportunities like this that we share our story. You know, I will be doing a lot more marketing, you know, over the next year as we go out and I've run around starting to collect checks and, and issue product um, on the banking side, you know, but with that, you know, our real focus is, okay, you know, here's where we're going. How are we going to get there? And if you want to participate in it, feel free to reach out. You know, we do not work with any sort of retail investors or, or small investors, unfortunately, at this time. This is in large part why I've created the, the Jamaican IPO product that we're bringing to market. Because I, you know, I get asked a lot about how early stage investors can can participate in this, and so, you know, from that perspective, you know, from the diaspora investors and stuff, you know, contact us if you want to participate in the IPO. That's a way for retail investors to get access to it as well, um, you know. But on the institutional side, you know, ultimately, you know, if you've got several million dollars you want to deploy across a handful of deals in Guyana. We'd be happy to talk to you, but our primary focus really is more on, like I said earlier, you know, developing the product and bringing it to the institutional markets where, you know, the debt and equity and the rated bonds and the rated um, securities that we can issue to our, the insurance companies and pension funds and endowments, because that's, that's the capital and that's the smart money that wants to, 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 to really participate with us. And so, you know, I, I'm excited on this journey where, you know, my team's here to help, you know, I've got a very diverse team, you know, this isn't just Steven Jasmine, there's a lot of partners behind us, you know, but I am the face of it internationally at this point. And so it's always happy to talk. I'm very easy to find on the internet and it's through opportunities like this that I just appreciate the ability to share my story and, and educate people because frontier markets aren't for everyone. And, and just like, not everyone's a venture capital investor, not everyone's a real estate investor, not everyone's a private equity investor. You know, it's about finding the right smart money and the smart family offices and the and the smart people that wanna wanna work with us. Absolutely. Smart money folks. Where can we find you, Stephen? You wanna give us a website or is it LinkedIn? I'll make sure to put everything in the show notes, but where can yeah, people yeah. reach out to you? So LinkedIn's the best way. You email me directly, uh S Jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N at sc3.ltd you know we uh we're just very focused and head down you know so we don't have a big web presence as of yet and we're more working directly with our clients that want to gain access to these markets and so you know but i do all of our research and all of our information is published on our my medium account so it's uh the guyana banker.medium.com i believe and we'll share the link below in the notes so you can see all the research we've published on the commercial real estate side and on the oil sector analysis and on the banking side and some of the, you know, macro analysis we've done on, you know, population trends and things like that, you know, and it's, it's a central repository, you know, my partner, Gavin Singh was, you know, featured in a couple Bloomberg articles and quoted, um, you know, so there's links to those articles. So, you know, what I tell people is, you know, if you're really serious about wanting to, to learn more about Guyana, do your homework, you know, don't just trust what I have to say, trust, but verify. Go, go check it out, you know, come down to Guyana, you know, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be boots on the ground personally much over the next coming months because it's my job to go out there and, and, and meet everyone and tell the story and be that ambassador that you referenced earlier. But, you know, my local partners are there, you know, we've got people that flew in this week that are, are you know, they're working with. We constantly have people coming and going and, you know, even when you do come, you know, we want you to go around and make your own decisions and, and really understand it because as an asset manager and as an investor, you know, we want the smart money that understands the value that they can bring to the table, but we also want you to make a wholly informed decision and get a true feeling of what the market 
you're getting involved with is like and how how it operates and, and, and let you see the opportunities for yourself and meet, you know, some of the other, you know, people that you can be working with and, and see and let you decide, you know, whether or not this could be a good fit together. And then, you know, always happy to sit down and have those conversations and, and, and progress it from there. That's incredible, Stephen. Thank you so very much for taking the time out to, to speak with us and share with us. I hope everyone enjoyed this bonus series. I know I did, and if anything, you learned a bit more about the world and frontier markets, Diana. All right? So until next time, bye for now. Thanks for listening in to this special bonus series of the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast on Guyana, Startup Nation. I hope you enjoyed listening into this series. More importantly, I hope that you maintain curiosity by doing your own research. If you like this bonus series and would like to hear more like it, rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Special thanks to Stephen Jasmine for sharing his knowledge, insights, and time with us. This series is an original Rare Birds HQ production and is for informational purposes only. Until the next bonus series, Rare Ones, it's been a pleasure. Bye for now. Bye.